Well, I'm speaking on a subject that I love, and that's the subject of restoration. We're looking at the book of Philippians. Last night, somehow, on my uh, desk, I received a clock that was uh, given to somebody in the family in 1952, and the clock didn't work. And so it was given to me to look at it. And it was a clock that maybe some of you can remember, a plastic kind of case, and there were a boy and a girl on a swing. And uh, as you looked at the clock, you could see them swinging. Uh, I see some nods of heads, so some of you must have bought that clock. If you got any extra pieces at home, bring it around to me, or if you know a good person that works on clocks, uh, because obviously, I'm telling you, I didn't get it restored, but I had a good time looking at it. You know, when life is difficult, we must cling to our faith in God. When life is difficult, we must find our hope and our joy in the things of Jesus Christ. We started last week speaking on this subject of restoration, and the definition of that word restoration is quite simple. To restore is to bring something back to an earlier condition. Uh, Some of us are trying to restore our lives. And we do that through vitamins and supplements and exercise. And we try to be as young as we used to be. And somehow it doesn't seem to work like a clock or a car when it comes to restoration. To bring back to an earlier condition as by repairing or remodeling. The thing that I like about restoration is that it, 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 um, it, it imparts new vigor, revival. It parts, departs uh, a great vigor in, in to, to relive a new life. When you restore something, all of a sudden, there it is. It's like it was brand new. And I believe that's, that's what God wants to do for us. I believe that God wants to restore our lives. He wants to restore our homes, our marriages, our nation, and our world. And I believe that we need that new vigor. We need that new life and even repairs in our life. So today, as we continue this journey in the book of Philippians, one that um, I started working on about eight weeks ago, I want us to understand that as Paul writes a letter to the church, the Philippians and Philippi, he writes a letter to this beloved church, not getting on them for their mistakes, But he's actually encouraging them. He's actually bringing them to a restoration process. The key verse that we have looked at thus far is in the first chapter and in the sixth verse, which the scripture says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a reminder that Christ is at work with us, within us. The master builder is not through with us. He wants to impart that new vigor to revive us, to restore us to a new condition. And in chapter one, we looked at that chapter and we see that there's a demolition process that takes place. Realizing that to bring something to restoration means that you tear out the old that you tear out those tattered pieces, the worn out pieces, and an installation process begins. I don't know if you've ever wanted to die. Now that's a pretty strong statement, or 
It's a pretty uh, strong question. Have you ever wanted to die? I don't know if you've ever got seasick or motion sickness. I decided to go on a half-day deep-sea fishing trip with my dad out of York Harbor, Maine. And when we got to York Harbor, Maine, we boarded a boat, and after an hour or so on that boat, I decided that it was the dumbest decision that I had ever made. With every pitch, with every roll of the boat, I doubted I could survive the remaining four hours of that trip. I never thought that motion sickness or seasickness could be so awful. And one of the deckhands, and there was very few on that boat, he tried to cheer me up. And he said to me, first of all, he wouldn't allow me to go in the cabin. He made me stay up above. And he said, don't worry, no one has ever died of seasickness. And I was thinking, you know what, you've just taken away my last hope of relief. All I want to do is die. And Paul faces a dilemma in his life about death. In Philippians, the first chapter, verse 21 and on, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, Paul is saying, if I'm living, I am going to represent Jesus Christ. But I know if I die, it's going to be gain. And if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. He's not giving up. He's going to continue on in the things of Christ. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you, the church in Philippi, that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Otherwise, I'm going to be a good mentor. I'm going to be a good instructor. I'm going to be a good cheerleader. And then he goes on to say, by the way, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And since you're going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Someone who liked cherries once said that life is just a bowl of cherries. Now, whoever wrote that needs a serious dose of reality because today your life is probably far from that of a bowl of cherries in the case you haven't noticed lately life is not a bowl of cherries it's mostly struggles life is filled with complexities it's filled with uncertainties and often dangerous and difficult 
choices that you and I must make, just as the Apostle Paul did. What shall I choose? Have you ever been faced with choices? Sure you have. You'll be faced with them this afternoon, maybe this morning already. You know, you and I don't have a choice about being born. We don't have a choice about our family or any of the conditions which we begin life with. The choosing begins with how we will use the circumstances we inherit. Hopefully, we make good choices. I just read this week that in 1784, Ben Franklin wrote a note to his daughter expressing his disappointment in our government. In the poor choices that he felt that the American government was making, dealing with selecting an eagle as our national symbol. You see, Ben wanted a turkey. And thank God they didn't listen to his choice. Choosing is an important part of the Christian life. In the 1970s, I worked for Volkswagen Porsche Audi in Green Bay, Wisconsin. In 1959, Alaska became part of the United States. People were anxious to get to Alaska. They were ordering Volkswagen buses from pictures and books. I couldn't get them fast enough. You see, the ground clearance was high. The Volkswagen bus was simple. You could put a rack on the top and put multiple spare tires on the roof. And people were making that choice because of the durability. Alaska Highway is well known from its primitive roads and its long, lonely stretches. A sign that was located at the beginning of the Alaskan Highway said this, Choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 60 miles. Some of you are in ruts. I think we all are. Some today are choosing to put more trust in political candidates, showing their disregard or showing their support. And in doing so, and spending so much time in doing so, I believe that you're taking Christ off the altar. You're taking Christ out of the center of our lives as Christians. That's a poor choice. Paul had hard choices in front of him. He's in a prison cell in Rome. It's dark, it's dirty. Most likely a very sickening place. His circumstances of life were appalling. That prison cell, I, I have supposedly visited it. It was pointed out that this is somewhat like the Apostle Paul was, was uh, housing in. His circumstances of life were appalling. And he certainly wished for release. There's not one person that wants to be in prison. But he had another choice that took precedence. Should he just sit back and wait to die like he's out on a fishing trip and he's seasick? Should he just sit there and just wait till life waste away? At least he would be with Jesus. And that was probably the preferable thing or choice 
in Paul's eyes to be with Christ? Or should he remain here on this earth and with God's direction? Should he have an impact upon the world around him and further the ministry of the gospel? I'm sure this was a trying decision for Paul. And you and I face many decisions. We face decisions concerning our family, about our jobs, our relationships, about how we conduct our life. And we, like Paul, I hope that we want to make sound decisions. I hope that it is your desire to make Christian decisions, choices that would be good for our welfare and choices that would be pleasing to God. In Philippians, this 27th verse of the first chapter, Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I remind you today, and it popped out at me, six weeks ago, that this 27th verse from the first chapter of Philippians speaks through the centuries and into our current context, into January of 2021. Here it is. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote this letter while he himself was in jail. While in jail, the Philippians had sent a delegation to visit him. It appears that they brought him some nice care packages to help Paul during his imprisonment. And Paul is so overjoyed with their actions that he sits down and he writes a letter to them and to this community who cared so deeply for him. Paul's well acquainted with the public situation and the government of the day. He's well acquainted with the Philippian Christians that live in a day-after-day situation of perhaps persecution. Philippi was a very cosmopolitan area. The city was founded by none other than the father of Alexander the Great, King Philip of Macedonia. The city was very Greek in culture. There were Jews there. And they were tolerated, but, but these new Christians, they were something else, pretty hard to understand. And every day, the Philippian Christians found themselves in public scrutiny. They were different from the rest of their world around them. Every move they make was being watched. And as a new movement, they also faced the wrath of their foes. They're very, they were very susceptible to public judgment. And if they were convicted for unjust wrong, they were persecuted. And writing from jail, Paul himself is no stranger to their situation. Paul realizes that he is a walking witness of Jesus Christ. And even in jail, Paul knows people are watching him. People are watching you and I. Just as they watch Paul, how does this guy conduct himself under duress, under the opposition, under things that are happening around him that he may not necessarily like or accept? 
What others see in him is a man absolutely filled with hope. They see him as a person filled with faith. And Paul may live under lock and key, but he demonstrates a freedom that's beyond freedoms. It's a freedom in Jesus Christ. We have that freedom today. Paul's future looks bleak. He senses that the end may be just over the horizon, but his words speak only a promise to me. Living is Jesus Christ and dying is a gain. And no matter what happens in the future, Paul has already won. He wears the crown of glory. You and I as Christians, we've already won. We wear the crown of glory. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, it is in honor of him. It's a federal holiday in the United States celebrating the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. It's observed on the third Monday of January each year. King's birthday, I believe, is on January 15th. Now, tomorrow celebrates the life and the achievements of this man, an influential American civil rights leader. He's most well-known for his campaigns to end racial segregation on public transportation and for racial equality in the United States. And as Reverend King approached his final days, he too, somewhat like Paul, sensed that the end was near. On the night before his assassination, it is said that he was filled with words of hope. We've got some difficult days ahead, he said. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I have seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, speaking to the crowd, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And like the Apostle Paul, King knew that his days were numbered. But even in the sense of death that was hanging over him, he strived, he attempted, he tried to conduct his life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like you and I must strive. We must be careful to do so. Jesus Christ is our hope. And he's a promise that, that outshone the dread of death and despair in this man's life. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't live in Philippi, but Paul's words reverberate through time and they speak to us today in 2021. What a strange and bizarre year that we have just gone through. Frankly, it's been quite exhausting for all of us. It's like a decade of events that have been crammed into one year of our life. And in this year of extreme extremes, Paul's words cry out to us today. He bids us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our world and our neighbors need to be surrounded by the witness of hope, 
And they need to be surrounded by a witness of godliness and goodness. What does that mean for us? Well, as I think about this question, my first thoughts is as I think of Jesus Christ and think of our relationship with him, we must reflect light into this world of darkness. Christ's gospel is light for the darkest night of the soul. The gospel gives us direction when the way is dark. Let's not misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for that daily in my life. My heart grieves when I see Christians politically arguing, especially on a public domain, on social media, Christians posting and telling other Christians what is wrong with them and and how they should practice and conduct their lives. Let's not misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ, posting insults, belittling other people and other human beings, people that God has his hand upon. We are Christians. In other words, we are little Christ. And people are supposed to be able to look at us and see Jesus Christ in our lives. As they looked at the Apostle Paul in, in, in a prison cell and said, this is a man of hope. This is a man who represents Jesus Christ. People should be able to add us, not me, because people are mad at me because I don't accept friends on Facebook. I go on Facebook maybe once every two weeks just to see who's having a birthday. But friends should be able to add us to their list of friends and see posts from us that are consistent with the character of God. Not tearing down other individuals. Remember that the world is watching you and what you say, whether you're a a social media person or just in conversation. People look at us, and Philippians 2 is a reminder that, that we would be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And how we take and conduct our conversations and, and uh, our use of social media, media matters. Let's tell the world the truth about Jesus Christ. Let's set boundaries within our life. Your reflections and your posts. And, you know, you must realize that some people could care less about that. And other people could be driven away from Jesus Christ. That Christians can be divided by that kind of stuff. And you can turn people away from the Lord. Everything that you and I have accomplished in life. in one post can be torn down. Because people expect more out of Christians as we see in the scripture today. And you know what? You may not like my post this morning and what I have to say. But if I preach Jesus Christ... And if I preach the gospel, I am safe. And this is to myself. I write many handwritten notes to individuals, and some of them aren't pleasant. Some of them are in protection of the church. And oftentimes I will write it out, and I'll give it to one or two other people. Most of the time it's to a female, because they're much more sensitive. And they come back to me and say, Pastor, this is a little tough. This is a little hard, and I'll correct that. Before you push the send button, 
I'm asking you today as a Christian, before you, you push that send button, ask yourself, what is your talk like? How helpful is it to others? Is it motivated by love? Is it motivated by grace, joy, patience, faithfulness, and mercy? Or is it motivated by an attitude? How much are you allowing yourself to be part of an outrage culture as a Christian? That's the other question we must ask ourselves. Are you looking for some reason to be angry? Are you looking for a reason to belittle somebody or make someone else angry? A Christian, especially a Christian leader, a Sunday school teacher, a missionary, a pastor like myself, we must consider the risk and the benefits of communicating what we feel we want to say before pushing a button or opening up our mouth. Engage our, our brain before we allow the words to come out. Write it out if you have to on a piece of paper. Pray about your reflections. Pray about your thoughts before you say them. Think before giving anything a like or a thumbs up or, or sharing it with a friend before hitting that button. If your social media activities, if it's done in love, that's wonderful. But if it's done in anger, and if it's done without God's involved in it, be careful. You may win a battle, but you may also lose a person to Jesus Christ, uh, from Christ because of our conduct. If you can't control yourself, Stay off the internet. If you can't control yourself, keep your mouth quiet and preach the things of Jesus Christ. To me, social media is remarkable. You know, it was attended, intended for 80% social and 20% for announcements. Just having a good time on there. It was never intended for political war. And I've, I'm a guy who has a lot of tools. And I love tools. And there is uh, also motivation to try to buy more because tools make things easier. But remember this, one of the common tools that I use daily is that of a screwdriver. And you can take a screwdriver and build some wonderful things, but you can also stab somebody with it. I don't think I've ever seen this level of hatred that we're seeing around us today and unfortunately, it's in the heart of some who like to get on and belittle other people. Hate comes from the human heart. And America has a spiritual crisis that we're going through. And we've turned our back on God, our creator. We have turned our back on the author of freedom and the one who has given us this wonderful land that we enjoy. And as you look around, just because other people's hearts are filled with hate, don't let hate fill your heart. Paul's words, and he encourages us, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let God, through his son, Jesus Christ, give you strength, the joy, the fulfillment, and the peace that only he can give. Jesus Christ instructs us himself. When he tells us to love our enemies, and the Bible challenges us, in the book of Romans 
the 12th chapter, the 21st verse. Do not be conquered or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some translations, the word there is conquer. In James, the fifth chapter, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. 2021, to us today, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. Let's be patient. You too, be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I believe that. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. It's happening in the church today. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Here's the warning. Or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. When you're proud of what you do and you think you're making a big influence on this world because of some bright idea or something that somebody gave you, be careful. It creates grumbling. Let us be little Christ. Let us be people that conduct our lives in a manner that's an honor to the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the privileges I had In the 1970s, I was a youth pastor in Dallas, Texas. I used to host concerts. The concerts were that of Christian artists. One of the greatest times I had was an artist by the name of Andre Crouch. Andre Crouch has blessed millions in this world with his songs. What some people don't know is that in one year or two years time, I believe it was, that Andre told me he lost his father, he lost his mother, he lost his brother. And also in that two years time, he was diagnosed with four different cancers and also congestive heart failure. He continued to minister in music. He blessed us. He's gone. He's with the Lord. But one of the songs that he wrote was a song that, and I can remember it well, the words were through it all, through it all. And he wrote this song because the Lord gave it to him during this time. He wasn't going through political problems or pandemics. He was going through his personal pandemics. But the words are so true for us today, church. Let's stand together. And as we do so, let's stand and say, God, you know, I want to be a little Christ. I want to be an individual that conducts my life in a way that gives you honor. And let's this week be a, a new week in our life. Let's be restored. Let's be revived. Let's pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those that are in positions of authority, those that are in our state, in our city, in our land that God will bless them. Because through it all, we're gonna learn to trust in Jesus Christ. Through the jail cell that you may sit in, we're gonna learn to be people that honor Jesus Christ. Through it all, let's sing this. 